greater things. Let me uh, pray in light of Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verse 6, and then we'll look again at these great words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 18. Uh, much for us to uh, learn and apply in our lives. Uh, let me pray in light of Proverbs. Well, Heavenly Father, you indeed give wisdom, and from your mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And we pray this evening as we hear those words of knowledge and understanding and of wisdom from Matthew chapter 18 that you hear us, uh, you help us to hear uh, and also to act in light of those words for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our own good and, as we'll see, the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, what comes to mind when I say the word rebuke? Uh, How does that word actually make you feel? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Uh, Does it bring up images in your mind of, uh, you know, a pointed finger or an angry voice or or a mean tone? Uh, maybe it reminds you of a not-so-loved school teacher of yours, uh, you know, always on your back, uh, always looking to correct you and to bring to light your many failings, not that I'm speaking from experience. Uh, or maybe it brings back uh, memories of those teenage years where uh, your parents were constantly telling you what for. Uh, they were continually telling you, you know, fix your attitude. Uh, again, not speaking from experience. Uh, now, I might be guessing here, But when I say the word rebuke, I'd say for most of us, that word doesn't exactly conjure up happy memories. Uh, It's not the kind of word that makes you feel warm and and fuzzy on the inside. But what if I said to you, to rebuke is to love? Uh, Let me actually make it stronger than that. What if I said you cannot truly love someone if you don't appropriately rebuke when necessary? Now, on one level, that's, that's an easy truth to see. It's an easy truth uh, to teach. You know, parents who truly love their kids, they rebuke them. Uh, and again, just to relive my younger years, I can think of many examples, perhaps too many, of uh, when my parents rebuking me was a good thing. And at the time, I didn't think so. Uh, I was too young and proud and stubborn to prove my parents' rights, as most teenagers. Uh, but years down the track, I see that it was loving. A parent who who doesn't rightly rebuke their children, their child, is actually neglecting their child. A parent who uh, isn't rebuking their child when there's blind spots and things to learn, well, they're being irresponsible uh, to not correct the errors of their children, their blind spots. So it's easy uh, to see the truth of to rebuke is to love when it comes to parents and their children, but what what, what when it comes to uh, other relationships? What about the idea of rebuking when it comes to each other? You see, it's very unpopular. It's very uncomfortable. But what Jesus is teaching us in this passage today is that the loving Christian, the loving brother or sister in Christ, they rebuke when necessary. And that actually, if we don't, then that is unloving. Then that is a failure to actually truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So by no means uh, an easy passage for us today. I think in many ways this is a very easy passage to understand, but what it teaches us in practice, well, that is very challenging. And uh, before we look at what Jesus says in the verses that uh, was read out just before uh, specifically, it's worth remembering what we saw last week. Because if you remember last week, Jesus stressed the importance of humility 
Uh, The questions the disciples ask at the beginning of chapter 18, if you just go back to the beginning of chapter 18, their question was, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' answer is, greatness in the kingdom of heaven is about humility. And not a fake kind of a humility like, oh, you know, thank you. Thank you for your compliment about my haircut. Uh, Look, I I know it's not actually that good. It's okay. Uh, Not that kind of humility, but true humility. Uh, the kind of true, true humility that, that actually puts other people before yourselves, puts others before you, and especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, is what Jesus told us last week. And part of Jesus' points was to show how a true citizen of God, God's kingdom realizes how valuable each member of that kingdom is. See, each of us who belong to the kingdom of God is so valuable that at times you leave the 99 behind to find the one, to pursue the one who's gone astray. And if you look back at verse 14, so look at chapter 18, verse 14, the last bit of uh, last week's passage, because this is the key bit for our passage today. Verse 14, Jesus says there, In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones, not even one of these followers of mine, perish and so all that jesus is about to say in the verses are tonight that we're going to look at at the heart of those verses is this desire of jesus that none of his followers that none of his little ones are lost but it's also worth noticing uh, what jesus says after this passage and uh, we'll look at verses 21 to 35 next week but the whole section if you just skip ahead for for a second is about forgiveness And uh, Jesus teaches in that next bit that the Christian is someone who understands how much God has forgiven them in Jesus, his son. And so the Christian is someone who's open and willing and generous in forgiving their brother and sister in Christ. So it's really important to remember what comes before this passage and after it, because it all fits together in this chapter. And realizing what surrounds our passage is key, because if we don't, we abuse it. If we don't, we make all sorts of mistakes when it comes to rebuking our brothers or sisters in Christ. Uh, And I'll try to make those clear as we go along tonight. So having said all that, uh, now we go to our passage. Look at what Jesus says in verse 15. And this is point one on your outlines. Hopefully you've got your outlines there. Uh, Point one, verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. And you might notice uh, that there's a footnote there in your Bibles. You might see it at the bottom of your uh, page there on the Bible. Because it could be, if your brother sins, go and rebuke him. And so those words uh, against you may not have been there when Matthew originally wrote his gospel. And uh, if you want, you can email me about that and I can uh, explain what the difference is and, and why it can be or not be there. But regardless, if it is, if your brother sins... Or if your brother, sister sins against you, regardless, I think the Bible's really clear on this. Regardless, in either case, go and rebuke your brother and sister in Christ. And that is the hardest bit about this whole passage. You see, Jesus says to his followers, he says to us, his believers, uh, this, is, this is not talking about unbelievers, it's not talking about non-Christians. Jesus says to his followers, If your fellow follower of Jesus sins or sins against you, then go and rebuke him, rebuke her. You see, this is a command of Jesus. This is a a, a clear instruction of Jesus. It's not, look, you know, if you feel up to it, 
Yeah, you know, if you feel up to it, then go do it. And it's not, look, you know, you might want to consider grabbing a coffee one time with your brother and sister in Christ. And as you're having coffee, if, if, if it so arises that this issue of their sin comes up, well, maybe then talk to them about it. You know, if it just, if it comes up. No, no, Jesus says, go and rebuke. It's take the initiative and do it. And my guess is that for many of us at this point, that feels rather uncomfortable. Uh, and there will be all sorts of reasons why we might feel uncomfortable with that. Some good. Uh, you know, who, who am I to approach someone about their sin when I know my own sin? Or, you know, who am I to stand in judgment over my brother and sister in Christ? Or perhaps we're more worried about the relational cost. You know, if I confront them about their sin, well, maybe our relationship will suffer. Maybe then we'll no longer be friends. Maybe we'll create this really awkward tension in our relationship. And it'll be weird when we see each other. You know, things won't be as simple as they were. Or it could be laziness. Uh, So why confront someone about their sin? That would take effort. It would take careful wording. It would take several coffees and catch-ups to explain what I mean. And, and really, things are pretty good as they are. You know, better just to let sleeping dogs lie, right? Why, why awake an issue? Why create the issue if we can just continue on our merry way? That would be far easier. You see, there are all sorts of reasons why this makes us feel uncomfortable. But what we must remember is that Jesus says, go and rebuke. And he says this because that is the loving thing to do. And that is the key to this whole section. Uh, And remember where we ended last week. It is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. And what God has done is he's given us each other. He's given us one another to love one another and help one another to remain as one of God's little ones. You see, we are a gift of God to each other. We do this because we truly love. But there's another really important reason as to why we go and rebuke, and that is because of the seriousness of sin. And again, we saw this last week, how serious sin is. How serious? Well, so serious that you're better off to cut off your hand or foot or gouge out your eye if that causes you to sin, rather than go on sinning and be thrown into hell. And so we go and we rebuke our brother or sister because we know that if we don't, and if they continue in their sin, well, the scriptures are really clear. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Again, we saw it last week, verse 9. Last week, it's chilling. They will be cast into hell if they continue in sin. Now, I know this is uncomfortable. I know this is a confronting uh, passage for many of us. But if we love each other, If we truly want to see our brothers and sisters in Christ there on the last day with Christ welcoming them them into his kingdom. Uh, If we we want all those in our congregation, uh, the, the people sitting right next to you at home right now, if we want them with us praising God for all eternity in perfection, then when sin arises, then we go and we rebuke. And I can't stress this enough. But we need to look past the uncomfortable nature of that. Uh, We need to truly grasp how serious that sin is, that it leads to hell. And so we need to truly love them. And this is uh, something that we all must do. It's not solely the the job of the pastor, of of me or Troy or Phil. Uh, It's not something that just a few in our church are to do. 
No, no, each of us, each of us, when any of us is caught in sin, when our brother and sister is caught in sin, we need to love them and go rebuke them for their sake and for the sake of our church. But uh, no doubt this raises lots of questions. Like, you know, what kind of sin? What, what kind of sins are we talking about here that I need to go and rebuke or talk to my brother or sister in Christ? Do you know that this year, Phil failed to wish me a happy birthday? And uh, not that I hold a grudge against him or anything like that. It's not that I, you know, message him for his birthday every year. It's not that I cried myself to sleep that night when he forgot. But uh, what, what kind of sin is in view here? So that sort of thing. Because let's face it, we all sin. We all fail. Uh, so, you know, uh, are we to imagine, imagine we're all here at church tonight, uh, or imagine a Zoom kind of breakout after the service. Are we all to then have these kind of, uh, these little rebuking sessions tonight all together? Because there's lots of ways that we sin against one another. And, you know, woe to the one who has a really long line of people waiting to, to chat with them because, whoa, they must have a long list of sins. Or is it the, the one-off, you know, slip of the tongue? Is that enough to go and rebuke someone? Or if someone, you know, thoughtlessly spends their money on the spur of the moment on something that's not a good idea, is that when we go and rebuke? Or what if we're being unfair in our rebuke? What if someone is overreacting or, or they feel as if they've been sinned against, but actually there's nothing to it? Uh, this passage raises lots of questions like that, and uh, we won't have time to tackle every scenario, otherwise we'll be here a very long time. But there are some principles that we need to know, and that we need to note, and we'll deal with those over the next uh, two points. So point two on your outline, a loving process. And this uh, really flows from what we've just said so far. You go and you rebuke because you love your brother and sister in Christ. And so that means you don't do it because you want to have one over them. Uh, you don't do it because you want to puff yourself up at their expense. And it's at this point that we do well to remember what Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount, back in uh, Matthew chapter 7, because Jesus said this. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, I used to uh, uh, play in a band for about 12 years or so. And uh, we played a few gigs with this uh, other band. They were a ska band. If you don't know what that means, Google it. You'll work it out. Um, but uh, their, their biggest song and their most popular song was about this passage. It was a song called uh, Plankers. And uh, I'll let you work out the wordplay because it's not the most edifying of words. But it was all about being a hypocrite and being quick to judge and, and rebuke someone else when all the time you failed to look at your own life, to look at your own issues and uh, hence being a planker. Uh, you see that there's actually wisdom in what Jesus is saying here. We need to make sure that we are not being a hypocrite. As we come to correct our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember our own sin. We need to remember how much we've been forgiven in Jesus our Lord and what he did for us so that we might be forgiven as we come to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so how we come to them is really important. Again, it's about love. We come out of love. 
and we come with a forgiving heart if they've sinned against us. Willing to forgive them is how we come, and we'll see that next week. But the point is, the whole process is a loving one. It comes from genuine love from start to end. And uh, you see that in the process that Jesus lays out here. So look again at verse 15. Again at verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. Now, why in private? Well, because that is the loving thing to do. Because they may not be aware of their sin. They might be blind to the sin in their life. Because they might need encouragement. They might need a loving brother or sister who notices and cares for them enough to want to help them with their sin. And because if it's in private, it stops one of those evils in all our churches, gossip. And again, you don't uh, uh, do this so you can feel self-righteous. But you do this and you go and rebuke in private because, end of verse 15, it's so that you may win your brother. And that's the motive. It's to win them for Christ, to win them over to seeing clearly the sin in their life, to turning once again to our God who is so merciful and he's only too pleased to forgive the repentant sinner. That is the God we want them to encourage them to come back to. And what a lovely and most wonderful result that would be. See, that is the big take-home from uh, this passage. If they are to repent of their sin because you have lovingly come to them, well, isn't that the most wonderful thing when they do? Isn't that the most beautiful thing as they come to God and God forgives them? Praise God. That is what we pray for. That is the hope of this passage. But if they don't, just notice again how genuine love must drive this from beginning to end. Because it's not, well, look, I tried. I came to them, I confronted them about their sin, I did it in a gentle and loving way. They didn't listen. Oh well, what can I do? I tried, I'll give up. Uh, or worse still, it's not, hey, did, did you know that, that, that Mike actually cheats on his tax return? Because I found out because he told me, and then I confronted him about it, but he doesn't care. And so you, know, you go and you tell every man, woman and dog, and there is gossip. Uh, don't worry, my tax return's above board. But that's not what we do. See, look at what Jesus says next, verse 16. He says, but if he or she won't listen, take one or two more with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. And there, uh, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 19. It's an Old Testament principle uh, so that you wouldn't have this situation where one person came and wrongly accused another to their own advantage. And it's easy to see why these words of Jesus are good and wise. If two or three agree that this is a problem, that this is sin, and that this should be addressed, then it's probably worth addressing. Uh, And the person being spoken to might then really take pause and consider what they're doing. You know, they might think, well, Mike can overreact at times, and he came to me and talked to me, but it's not just Mike who thinks it's a problem. It's Adam. It's, It's Daisy as well. Maybe I should take pause. Maybe I should think about this. Maybe I should repent and change. And notice it's not, you know, go and take half a dozen or go tell eight or nine and get a whole group with you. No, no, the whole thing is kept quite small so that it doesn't lend itself to gossip. Remember, it's for the sake of the brother or sister who needs to deal with their sin and repent. 
And again, the idea of two or three confronting someone about their sin, that feels so uncomfortable. We don't like this. But I can say with full confidence that if we love each other enough to do this, that if you go to your brother or sister in private, that if you take two or three with you, or one or two with you, if they don't listen at first, if your brother or sister cares enough for you or cared enough for me to talk to me about a sin that is a problem, if we did that, then our church would be far more loving and far more godlier for it. See, here are some wise words from our J.C. Ryle. He said this, He said, happy would it be for the church and the world, for that matter, if this portion of our Lord's teaching was more carefully studied and obeyed. Differences and division there will be so long as the world stands, but how many of them would be extinguished extinguished at once if the course recommended in these verses was tried? Uh, In other words, what he's saying there is, instead of allowing one another to continue in sin, How much better would it be if all these issues were dealt with quickly and promptly and early and done in a way that is godly and between the the two or the three? And it's not only better for the one who sinned because they repent and they praise God for his forgiveness, but it's also better for the one who was sinned against. Again, there's wisdom from the Old Testament here from Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 says this, It says, you must not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. And so this is good for all involved. Do not harbor hatred against your fellow Christian. If they've wronged you, if you feel grieved, Well, go to them. Talk with them. That is the godly and loving thing to do. That is what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ because these are our brothers and sisters. But failing all that, again, our tendency, I think, is to give up. To say, look, we've tried. Let sleeping dogs lie. What else can I do? It didn't work. Oh, well. But look at what Jesus says next. Verse 17. Verse 17 If he pays no attention to them, to the two or three, tell the church. That is, bring it to the congregation. Bring it before the people of God. Why? Well, it's actually for the same reason as every other time. It's so that you might win them over. It's not tell them to the church so you can kick them out. No, no, it's tell them to the church. That's the first bit of this section. Tell them to the church so that they might realize and repent and turn back to God. They weren't convinced by the one, by even the two or three, but as they stand before their church family. Uh, And that's what Jesus means here by church. He's not talking about an institution. He's not talking about an establishment. Uh, Remember the church, uh, the word church simply means gathering or assembly. And so as this person stands before their congregation, stands before their church family like our family, Well, perhaps then they will see the seriousness of their sin. Perhaps then as they see their whole family of God saying, no, brother, sister, you must turn back. You must repent. Then perhaps then they will put all their pride and self-justification aside and repent. Please, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, 
Remember that this whole process that Jesus outlines for us is for the good of that brother or sister in Christ. It is for their repentance and their forgiveness and ultimately for their salvation. This is not a witch hunt. It's in love. That is why we do it. It's in love knowing the seriousness of sin and where it leads. But look at what Jesus says in the rest of verse 17. Because failing that, if they still don't turn away, verse 17, but if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, well, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. In other words, if the family of God all agree that this person's continuing in sin and has been confronted about this sin and yet still refuses to deal with that sin, or treat them like an unbeliever, uh, like a tax collector, which for Jesus' contemporaries was a way of saying a sinner. To do otherwise is actually to live a lie. It's to treat and call someone a fellow follower of Jesus when the way they're acting is showing that they're not a follower of Jesus. And that is uh, part of the point in verses 18 to 20. We don't have time to look at that uh, in detail, but in a nutshell, uh, the point there is that true followers of Christ agree together on the word of Christ. And if a person is disobeying and rejecting that word, then they are not of Christ. Then they are, part, uh, then they are not a part of the heavenly gathering. They are not truly in Christ. And so if they're not acting as one who is in Christ and is part of the heavenly gathering, well, then they should not be part of the earthly gathering. They shouldn't be treated as a brother or sister in Christ because, well, they're showing that they're an unbeliever. They're showing they are, they are not a part of God's kingdom. And Jesus doesn't say it here, but we know this from the rest of the New Testament. But doing a thing such as that is still for the good of that person. Uh, and you see that in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, where you treat them as an unbeliever in the hope that then they come to their senses, that they realize as they're outside the family of God how silly they've been and come to their senses and repent. You see, it's an ugly thing when this happens, but it is necessary for the sake of that person and for the sake of that church, of our church. Otherwise, sin spreads. And sin reigns. But there's still one big question in the air, which I mentioned earlier, and that is, what kind of sin are we talking about here? What kind of sins? What's on view? And uh, with point three, I'll try to tie a few things together and answer that question. But just to come back to principles, ultimately what Jesus has in mind here at the end of the process is ongoing unrepentant sin. To, to get to the end of the process, to tell the church and then treat that person as an unbeliever, it needs to be ongoing, unrepentant sin. See, the hope is that the whole thing gets nipped in the bud early. The hope is that, you know, you see your brother and sister caught in sin and you talk to them in private, you gently, lovingly bring it up with them and the hope is it gets resolved. And if so, praise God. But it's the ongoing unrepentant sin that is the real issue. But I wonder if the question of what kind of ongoing and unrepentant sin, I wonder if that's actually the wrong question. Uh, I joked before about Phil uh, forgetting my birthday. Not that I want to keep bringing it up. But uh, it could be that that is simply the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, 
You see, it could be that Phil has, has neglected to be loving towards me. That actually he has been neglecting me in a number of ways. That he's been selfish and uncaring as a brother. And that he's sinned against me in all these other ways. And so to say that, you know, what kind of sin is in view here, I'm not sure that's the right question. I'm not sure that's the right way for us to think about it. Uh, that being said, uh, Jesus is not talking about one-off, just, you know, simply one-off minor things. Uh, you know, if someone forgets my birthday, well, I've got to be gracious and get over it. Uh, I forgive you, Phil. But if there is ongoing, if there is an ongoing pattern of selfishness, uh, if there's an ongoing pattern of neglect or avoidance or of, a, or of a loose tongue in speech or, of course, joking, that's continual. Uh, if someone is cheating on their tax return over and over again or, or lying to an employer about company funds that they're using for their own personal needs, then we're to gently and lovingly go and rebuke. That is what we're to do. Uh, and we often think of the more obvious sins as well here. Uh, and again, they're part of what's in view here. So we are talking about things like sexual immorality. When an unmarried man or woman uh, are living together with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Or being in an ongoing sexual relationship with someone who is not their husband, not their wife. To continue in, the way, in that way in those relationships, that is to be in ongoing, unrepentant sin. God is real clear. God says sex is for a husband and wife in the context of their marriage between one man and one woman. And God says, trust me on this. God says this is right. This is a good and right context for sex. Believe me, I know, says God, I created it. Marriage and sex and husbands and wives and people for that matter. And so what kind of sin is in view here I don't think is the right question. Uh, the right question is, is my brother or sister being ungodly? Uh, are they continuing in ungodliness? Are they caught in a sin that they need to be gently and lovingly rebuked of and, and helped with? Because if you remember what God said to Cain all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. And brothers and sisters, that is the battle we are involved in here. And what Jesus wants is for us to protect each other, to help each other as his people, as his church, from sin. You see, I know for most of us here, rebuking a brother or sister is so uncomfortable. Uh, it's so far out of our comfort zone. Uh, for some of us, and I suspect a whole lot less of us, uh, we're too quick to want to rebuke and to correct but either way, if we truly love one another, if we truly grasp the seriousness of sin, and that actually sin is ruining the life of your brother or sister in Christ, that actually sin is destructive for our world and for our people and for each one of us, and ongoing unrepentant sin leads to hell, you see, if we want to see our brothers and sisters with us in the new creation, well, then we act on Jesus' words here when there is sin. These are the things that are at stake. And so be willing to be on the receiving end of a gentle and kind rebuke. And ponder the words of your brother and sister in Christ when they come to you. If they come to you and their words are good and right and biblical, well then repent and pray and change. Don't automatically be defensive. 
and be willing to be on the giving end of this, loving your fellow believer enough to talk to them. And as you do, remember how much Jesus has forgiven you. And so be humble and be gentle and be forgiving. And the reality is, if we don't do this for one another, nobody else will. You see, our world does not love enough to do these sorts of things. You see, our world says, you be you, even if it's not good for you. You know, who am I to say what you're doing is damaging and wrong? Now, you be you, even if I know it's, there's consequences, that's okay, you be you. See, our world does not love enough to do this. But the Christian says, God knows what is best. And God wants what is best for you, brother, sister, for each one of us. And we are best to live his way. And so we truly love one another by talking with one another about our sin. And that is the church that Jesus wants us to be. And it is so very good. Well, let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much of the ways you've forgiven us in Jesus, your Son, of our many sins and our many failings. But Father, help us to be loving enough to talk to one another about our sin, to, go, to politely, g- gently, humbly uh, confront each other about our sin so that we might rightly repent and rebuke when we are being ungodly and so that your church might grow to be ever more like Jesus, your Son, for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our own good and even salvation. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.